He brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Those are verses 43 to 45 of Psalm 105, uh, verses 23 to 45 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, November the 17th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm John Green. I'm your host. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the book of Malachi as we move towards Advent here in about 10 days. Um, So we're looking at Malachi today, chapter 2, verses 1 to 16, in Luke's gospel, chapter 17, verses 20 to 37, and in the epistle of James, chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 6. So we have a lot of verses to cover today. So he's speaking here, the Lord is, through Malachi, to the prophets of Israel. He says, now, O pri- or the, sorry, the priest, the, now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed them because you don't lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. You think God's maybe just a little bit upset with the priests at this point? I mean, to say, I will spread the dung of your offerings on your faces and you'll be taken away with it. It, it, That's about as bad as it possibly gets. I mean, back in the the 30s, I guess it was, one of the the most um, shocking scenes in American cinema at the time was Jimmy Durante mashing a grapefruit in the face of his wife. And that, that people were just appalled at that scene. Um, and this, I mean, is a million times worse, right? God says, I'm going to take the dung of the offerings and smear it in your faces because what you're doing to me, you're dishonoring me, and I will bring dishonor upon you. He says, so shall you know that I've sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. And there's no reason for me to keep saying this about the word fear, but it means literally fear, because we need to have a healthy fear of God. Now, because if we do, if we have a fear of God, then we have a fear of judgment, which is exactly what John says in John, First John five, that we have a fear of judgment because He is the Judge, but He is also the one who sent His Son to acquit us of those crimes in order that we can be free now to follow Him, not free to do as we like, but free to do as He commands, and that fear should restrain our conduct. That fear should also cause us to be incredibly thankful for what he's done for us. He stood in awe of my name. He's speaking of Levi here. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, which is exactly what he said his covenant with him was. And he turned many away from iniquity. In other words, he taught faithfully and he spoke faithfully and he turned people away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge And people should seek obstruction from his mouth, for he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So God's pastors, preachers, teachers, whatever, all those are important offices, and we need to take those as a sacred offering from the Lord to us. It's an obligation that I have to, to be faithful to his word. 
And to the extent that I am, then people should then see him more clearly. It should make the way clear to him. And people should seek instructions from the mouth of the priest, for he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. And that can be said of the church today in so many quarters. Where they're no longer faithful to the word of God, they will deny the word of God. They will say, well, that doesn't belong. Well, that's not your choice. We take what we've been given, which is the word of God. And we know that it's been passed down and passed down and passed down faithfully. And so we can now handle that word well and rightly and in connection with what has come before us. I don't have the freedom to change the teaching of the church. He says, you've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And so we know that in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, that was a serious problem among the people, is, is that, that not just people, but priests as well, had, had begun to marry with people from other nations who had other gods, which is exactly what the problem has always been from the time of Solomon forward. And so there, there needed to be a cleansing and because everybody needed to be on the same page with respect to the gods they worship. It's the way, in fact, that Balaam ultimately cursed Israel, not by speaking against Israel, but by saying, just let them intermarry with our people. Just let our women marry their men and everything will be fine because they'll lead them astray after these other gods. He said, in the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. In other words, there's an appropriate way to come with tears, and that would be in repentance for your sin, in sorrow over your sin. But no, the reason you're covering the altar with tears is because, well, I'm not giving you what you want. And there's a reason for that. It's because of the first thing that you've done. He said, but you say, why does he not? Give me the things I want, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking by doing that? Godly offspring. So that's a really interesting way of saying that. Right? So did he make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And so it, what, what it says is, what was he seeking when he did that? He was seeking godly offspring. That's an interesting idea, right? Here's the reason that's an interesting idea. Because it, it, it seems like what he's saying here is, is that, that the two became one, but he was the bond between the two of them. And so when they submitted themselves to the Lord, when they submitted their marriage to the Lord, then he became part of their DNA that got passed on to their children. That's what that's saying. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I mean, so apparently there was a problem not just in, in marrying people from other faiths, 
they were faithless to their wives. And he says, your faithfulness to your wife is a symbol of your faithfulness to me. If you won't be faithful to her, then you're not going to be faithful to me either. You can't, a man can't be trusted. This is, it's an old uh, Harry Truman thing, actually. At one point, he fired a guy because his, he, he was having an affair, and it became public knowledge. I don't know whether I assume that Truman didn't know it before it became public knowledge, but, but he fired him. And they said, why'd you do that? He said, well, if his wife can't trust him, how in the hell could I? And that's a really good point. It's a really good point. Uh, one we don't even like to hear anymore. I mean, it's okay to talk about all this other stuff, but but that's, no, we don't talk about that. No, no, no. We've moved beyond that stuff, John. And that's the part of the problem in society is we've moved past all these things. So in the, uh, in the gospel today, Jesus <coughs> is asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, there it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And that was exactly the message that he sent the people out with as he traveled to Jerusalem. He sent messengers, he sent the 72 out ahead of him to proclaim the kingdom was coming. And so the kingdom came in the midst of them. When Jesus is there, there's the kingdom. The same is true when the Spirit is there. The kingdom is in the midst of us when we gather for worship, when we gather as as individuals and speak. The kingdom is in the midst of us, and it's an observable phenomenon, and it should be a tangible phenomenon. He said to the disciples then, the days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It won't be something you can miss. It'll be that obvious, he says. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage. In other words, they were just going about life. Everything seemed fine. They were just doing life and until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So, in other words, be prepared for that day. You can't read the signs well enough to say it'll be that day. Be prepared for the day, because when he does come, then judgment will come with it, and and it'll be easy to see. Nobody's going to miss it. Don't worry about that. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away, and likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife, who turned back and was turned into a pillar of salt. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. In other words, run after the kingdom. Don't, don't try and pick up other things in advance, and don't look longingly back at that which is cursed by God. <clears throat> I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Yeah, you can bet nobody understood that. I mean, it's true. It's an obvious truth. But when they say where, it's wherever the corpse is. Then the vultures will gather there. There's no where to it. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, a worldwide phenomenon. 
that he's talking about. There's, there's not a where to this. It's an everywhere kind of a thing. In the uh, epistle today, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. You know, we read that parable that Jesus told of the rich man with the barns not too terribly long ago and, and big, who, built, who had bigger crops, so he built bigger barns and then told his soul to be satisfied with what he had. Here, that's exactly the same thing. James says you can't possibly, you, you can make a plan that way, but you can't control that plan. You have no earthly idea what's going to happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. We don't like to think of ourselves that way because we, this is all we know. But it's true. I mean, you know, all the biblical authors have come and gone. None of those people are here any longer. And so all the people that are mentioned in Scripture, all the, you know, everybody is going to die. And, and that is true. We are like a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. It's not wrong to make a plan, but, but to bet your life on it is a bad mistake. As it is, you who boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Because you know the right thing to do. You have knowledge, and therefore when you know what the right thing to do is and you don't do it, then it's sin. So it's a, it's a sin of omission. You knew what the right thing to do was and you didn't do that. A sin of commission would be then to, to know what the right thing is and, to, well, to do the opposite thing of what you know to be right. That's a sin of commission. But he says omission is, 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 is important, the thing, knowing what the right thing to do is and then not doing it. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. James seems to have a, a little bit of a grudge here against rich people. I mean, he's mentioned it several times, and it sounds very contemporary. Frankly, what he's saying here sounds very contemporary to a lot of the complaints that, that are there about the inequity in, in life. And, and there's a serious bunch of inequity. I heard a, a statistic just very recently that the top 0.5% of people in the United States have more wealth than the bottom 90% combined. I mean, it's an absolutely amazing disparity that we live in. And during this pandemic, the rich just got a lot richer. In most cases, um, mom and pops got shut down. Yeah, we got to shut those down, but we can keep liquor stores open. And in states that have weed dispensaries, they could stay open and, and Amazon could stay open. But the local store had to close. And so they, we ruined local businesses at the expense of billionaires. And, and it's I don't know why that would be. I, I don't have a great explanation for that. Um, but the rich got a lot richer. And, and now... Is that something that's a positive or a negative? You know, it's obviously a negative, obviously. So he says, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Where are we intended to lay up treasure? Jesus is very clear about that. Lay it up in heaven where moth and uh, rust don't destroy. And James says, nope, you've got everything you want. You are the fools with, with, who built the bigger barns and, and, and tried to tell your soul to be satisfied with that. Well, your soul 
passes into eternity. It's, it's not satisfied by things of earth. And that's what he's saying here is that the rich people have, have satisfied themselves in the things of earth. Well, th- then you're going to have your portion now. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud. And one of the commandments is to, is to pay the, a person every single day, to keep, to, to keep short accounts, and to make sure at the end of the day people have their daily bread, which is their wages. So that, that's what he's talking about. The wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So in the same way that the cries of the people in Israel reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, and he delivered them from those who would enslave them, he says, you rich people, that's who you are. You're now Pharaoh. You've had them building your monuments to yourself. You've had them build all these other things. And now comes the day of reckoning for you. And it's an eternal reckoning. And, and he, so he's comparing here these wealthy people who have refused to pay the wages to their laborers. He's comparing them to Pharaoh, and he does it so um, uh, perfectly when he says that the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, which is exactly what it says in Exodus. When he begins, he sends Moses against them to, to bring his people out of Egypt and deliver them from the land of slavery. And so he's comparing these rich people to Pharaoh right now. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And, and we see that. We see it now with, with all the things that we see, the Davos crowd and all those other people who fly around the world in their private jets and then tell everybody else to reduce their consumption of energy, who have enormous homes, who, who live lavish lifestyles and then lecture people who are suffering and struggling. He says, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And so there, there is condemnation, and I believe we are living in last days in, in many ways. I hope we are, <laughs> but the reality is, is that, that everybody bears blame. You know, none of us are innocent. And so we began today by looking at the priests and how the priests had perverted the Word of God, and they had cheapened God's sacrificial system, which means they cheapen sin. And then in the, in the uh, gospel, Jesus talks about the days of judgment that are to come. He talks about those who, who, who would, would turn back and look at this life because it's so good. And, and the problem is we participate so much and we become friends with the world. And then we, we see all this celebrity worship and influencers on TikTok and this place and that place on all these social media platforms. And, and we've fallen in love with this stuff. And we've fallen in love with celebrity preachers or pastors or whatever. And, and we fall in love with all these things. And we get enticed by it. And we do what John did when he saw the prostitute on the beast. We marvel at it. It's exactly what Lot's wife did. She looked back with longing to her old life. She missed it. And, and can we walk away? Can we walk away? Can we look ahead and not back? Can we long for the kingdom? Can we lay up treasures for the kingdom? Or do we love this life so much? that we can't imagine giving up anything.